0: This is episode 15 with Antonios Assad. You get to hear about how he signed his career away in Lebanon, the crazy soccer stories he went through, and what it takes if you want to make it to the top. Welcome to 8 Billion Gifts. This is your host Sohil, a footballer, creative, and student. On this show, we talk to all kinds of people to discover their stories, their mindset, and their unique gift. We've got Antonios in the house. Today, you'll get to hear his story, and we're going to be talking about what it takes to maximize your performance. Antonio Sassad is a former professional soccer player and the founder of Ape Mode, a fitness company that trains individuals to maximize their performance through innovative structured programming. Being recognized internationally for his strength, agility, and speed, physical conditioning quickly became the root of his success. As a coach, Antonios has completed multiple certifications and has worked with Olympic athletes, among other professionals in Europe, Asia, and North America. This eventually led him to starting his own fitness company, where he's currently providing specialized strength and speed training for his clients. Antonios, what's going on? How are you doing? So thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks for being on. It's interesting how our relationship has evolved over the years. Five, six years ago, you were my coach at West Ottawa Soccer, local club here In Ottawa. And then since then, we've just been in touch over the years. And this year, we've really been connecting, working on some of the projects over at Ape Mode. So let's start off by you telling us a little bit about how you grew up, what kind of kid you were, and then your transition into the professional game. Okay, so
1: we moved to Canada from Lebanon. I was just a year old. So basically, I grew up in Canada. And to be honest, the first thing that I loved was hockey. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't uh, financially stable enough at the time. For them to put me into hockey we went you know we went to the arena we tried to look into the pricing it was way too much so i was like whatever i'll just play for fun with friends and then i remember um we went to a community center my mom had to do something and i saw a guy walking in with a bunch of soccer balls so i asked my mom i'm like you know what i guess i'll settle for this sport can i go and train and then she's like okay let's go right now so just on the spot went into a trial as a kid and then you know that's how i started playing youth soccer so i started playing with a club called salvadoreno it's a Spanish club. I was the only non-Spanish player on the team. And I feel like, you know, from such a young age, playing for a Spanish Spanish team, that's where I got my flair from, you know, as opposed to playing for the irregular Ottawa clubs. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I, I went to internationals, played a little bit of house league, didn't really take it that seriously. I uh, got cut a few times for some teams. Uh Cap United cut me. I remember that. That really hurt as a kid. And then I took a little bit of a break, made a you know, played high school soccer, this and that, played for St. Anthony's. And then unfortunately, one year with St. Anthony's, I, uh, we were playing in the final of some game and, you know, something happened. I got heated. I always had a temper as a kid. I got heated and then I spat in the direction of the referee and then they made a huge deal about it. And uh, they slapped me with a five-year ban from Ontario soccer. So I felt like, you know, that was a, that was a huge turning point in my life for the so negative. So five years, no games, no training. No games, anything. no nothing. You're not yeah. allowed to play. Like you're, wow. you're blacklisted from Ontario soccer. Yeah. Um, the referee made it seem like I spat on him. I didn't, like the, my, like I didn't hit him with it. Of course, it was a very disrespectful thing to do, but I spat on the ground in front of him. Yes, very disrespectful. Did I deserve five years? I really don't think so. You know, like some, another player on my team, he, got, he initially got the red card and then the referee walked over to him and basically told him, you're out of the game. The player went to swing at the referee, slapped the red card out of his hand. I went to ask him what happened. He gave me a red card. So then I got upset and I spat on the floor. The player who swung at the ref slapped the red card, got three years because his dad was the coach. I had no backing in Ottawa. I was just this yeah. Lebanese kid playing soccer, right? So my parents didn't have the money to pay for lawyers and this and that. So I literally just, I played under another name, to be honest. Like I, I joined the men's league at 15 years old and yeah. just played under a Russian name. <laughs> and to be and to be honest, like doing that, yeah. I felt like really helped me from a young age to 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 handle the physicality of the adult game, right? Play against men. So at fifteen, you were already stepping up playing in the men's yeah, league. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I took a little bit of a like a little bit of time off just because I was very depressed mm-hmm. and I was hurt and things like that. But but shortly after, I just I was like, screw this. I'm just gonna go play. And it was like you know like the soccer seven house league here, yeah. but it's still high level. Yeah. Especially you're a fifteen year old playing against like full grown men. So I learned I learned all the ins and outs of how to deal with pressure, how to deal with men. Right. Kids like I find kids here in Canada, they're very babied, right? Like they're always playing, you know, youth soccer, youth soccer, but they never really get a taste of what it's really like. So I played there a few years. And uh, then finally, they they like after four years, I went to court and they, they told me, you know what, like you showed some some good attitude and this and that. You've been doing good things in the community. So they reinstated me. So I so that at that time I was uh, 19 years old. So as soon as I was ready to uh, get reinstated again, I joined Ottawa Fury PDL, and then that summer I got noticed to play for Algonquin College. So Algonquin College was like the best Canadian team at the time, and Fury PDL was like the best the best team you could play for as well at the time. So I I felt like despite the ban, I wasn't really coached through those years, but I developed something that other kids didn't have. You know, in England they call it like you know the they call the academy players the ones who play you know for the OSUs for the West Ottawas they don't really they don't, they don't throw them like I was thrown into the wolves and I felt like that really really shaped me to become the player that I eventually became yeah and then shortly after that I played a few years for Algonquin wasn't really working out I felt to be honest I felt like not being coached all those years I was very athletic and all that but I was missing a lot so I was like you know what if they're not going to appreciate me here in Canada I'm going to go to Lebanon and you know that year I just went to Lebanon And literally, my cousin told me, hey, you know what? I can put you on a team. You can, you know, trial with them. If they sign you, they sign you. And then, uh, you know, because it was late in the transfer window, I had to play with this low-level team. And then from those games, the first division teams would come and watch me and then decide if they're going to sign me or not, which is what happened. How ready did you feel going to Lebanon? Because it's a
0: completely different I was not ready. Like,
1: physically, I was not ready. Because, look, because the Algonquin season finishes in November. So, Nationals was in November. Then a few months went by and I'm just on Facebook, like trying to find opportunities, you know? And then my cousin was, he was the uh, coach of a youth team there. So he told me, yeah, just come, just come stay with our grandmother and then we'll go on trials together. I'm like, perfect. So that's, that's what I did. You know, I was not ready physically at all. As soon as I walked into the country, they put me in a first division trial match. I was tired within the first five minutes, but, but I don't know. I felt like, you know, it was always, I was always meant to be successful because things would just work out for me. In the game, some guy crosses the ball, it comes to me, I was so tired, I trapped it, I brought it down, I was in the six-yard box, I should have hit it one time, but I brought it down, I took a deep breath, I shot it, and I scored. Another time the ball came to me, it like trickled through my legs, went into a through ball, the guy scored. So technically, in one half, I had a goal and an assist. They took me off, they're like, perfect, good job, like, let's get you signed to this fourth division team, you're going to play, and then when you're able to sign officially, you'll sign with us. And that was right when you got into the country, first week, you have that First game. Everything's going well. For, to be honest, I had the worst game of my life. Like I was very bad in the game. Like, it just my, worked out. It just worked out, work because, out because like I was yeah. physical. I put like, I I did a few crazy tackles. I was yeah. jumping. I was going crazy. Like that's just my personality. I'm very aggressive. I want it. I wanted it more than everyone else, you know? And um, And then, yeah. And then from there, everything just started working out. So I know in Lebanon, there was a big turning point because something happened with an agent you signed on and then that greatly impacted the next couple of years. So take us through that. So- it's interesting because in professional sports, people don't understand that there's a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't talk about. So for me, as soon as I walked into the country, um, my cousin brought me to a training session. So it was just like a training session for people to watch me. So for me, like I had this phys- physicality about me that players in Lebanon didn't have. I was well trained. I went to the gym. I did all these things. So I had some muscle on me. So when I came into the session, I was bodying a few guys in the session. Right away, I could see four, four men kind of talking and looking at me. Kind of, kind of like coming up with a plan, how to make money off me, how to, how to, you know, find a way to to make me successful, but also make them successful. And shortly after, they um, they brought a paper to me. They're like, hey, you know what? You sign this paper, you can, you know, you can play in the league. So for me, I thought it was like Canada. You know, in Canada, you sign a registration form and you 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 know you pay your fee and you play. So it was all in Arabic, and I was just excited to play. I was 19 years old. I was from Canada. I didn't want to go back to Canada. I really wanted to play. So I signed this paper. This paper actually was a lifetime contract. You know, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have managers. My parents weren't involved in my sport. So you had no idea what you were getting yourself into? I had no idea. I was, keep in mind, this is a long time ago. Like this, the information wasn't on the internet. There was no WhatsApp for me to talk to people. There was no, you know, I had to use calling cards to call people. So that was the situation I was in. And, and that situation I find like really hindered my progress as a professional athlete because these four men owned me for the rest of my life. Anytime I wanted to make a move, they were, they were there and like, oh, you know what? If you want to go to this team, we want X amount of dollars. So I had to make the team first. Then the team had to see that I was valuable enough for them to pay a transfer fee. But they knew that they didn't own me then. I still belonged to these guys. So it was a very sticky situation for me. Um, as soon as I signed this form, I played in the fourth division. Fourth division is very like, how can I say, very low level. It was easy for me to show myself. I scored in every game. Every game that I played, I scored. And from there, you know, they had a plan for me, these four guys. They were going to have me play for this team and then they were going to have me uh, signed for this club named Safa. Safa was the best club in Lebanon at the time. And that's a team that I trialed with when I first got there and I scored. So the path was right for me. But for me, for some reason in my career, I just, I always was controversial. I always did things that kind of screwed me over a little bit. I was at the gym and I saw this club. They were they were training in the room, a full team. They looked like serious players, you know? So I approached, I approached the coach and I'm like, hey, like, who are you guys? And he's like, oh, we're Al-Ahli. We were in the first division. This is our first year, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, Hey, like I'm from Canada, you know, I played here and like these teams want me, but, uh, I'm inter- I'd be interested in, in coming to trial with you guys. So I started training with this other team. They started giving me money. They just handed me cash, like hundreds of dollars, just so I can buy food and do whatever. They picked me up on their team bus. They treated me very well. I, I won't lie. Like I was very happy with them, yeah. but see, these four men had another plan for me, but see, like, it's funny. It's like, when you're an athlete, you think you have control. You have absolutely no control over your career. It's hard for you to make your own decisions. So I started training with this club for a month and then I got injured with them. So I was doing it behind the other club's back. So when I got injured, I still had games to play. I couldn't play. They started to ask questions. They found out they got upset. So our relationship kind of went sour after that point during this whole point as well. My cousin's the one who set me up with this team and um, I was getting paid. Apparently I was, I was apparently getting paid. I had no idea. So when I signed the contract, he negotiated the whole deal. He was taking all the money. I had no idea that I was making money at the time. So he he took all my money. He took my first payment. These are, we're talking thousands of dollars as a 18, 19 year old that I could have really benefited from. I had to beg him for twenty dollars so I can go to the grocery store and buy food. I had to beg wow. him for money to go and like do things because he controlled everything that I did. Like I was literally a slave. They saw me as a as a you know hot product. That's all that I was to them. So. So yeah, so that was basically like my first year in Lebanon. It was very hard for me, you know, coming from Canada. But uh, but honestly, I did really well. Like I like I said, I scored every game. I had a bright future, you know. I was getting called up by the national, the U nineteen national team. But like I said, I had a huge ego and I thought I could make the first team. So I didn't I didn't go to the training camp and these kinds of things. So then I came back to Canada, went, played again with uh, with uh, Algonquin, and then uh, so every summer I would always go back to Lebanon to see what kind of deals I was getting. This was early on in my career and. Yeah. So when I, so I went back again, stayed with my grandmother again. Um, she ended up dying actually, uh, when I was there and that was very hard for me to deal with because that's who I lived with. So you're here. It's okay. Um, she passed away. The biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in Lebanon named Nijme. they called me to come for trial. So I went the first day and they loved me. They were like raving about me, talking about me, all the fans were talking about me, this and that. The next day my grandmother dies. I call them, I tell them, Hey, listen, I need to be there for my mom. Uh, I have to represent the family at the funeral. I can't come to the trials, blah, blah, blah. They didn't believe me. They thought I was lying. So they were a little bit upset about it, whatever. And then, and then after three days, you know, when you go to a funeral of someone you love, like you feel mentally drained. And that's, those are the feelings that were going through me. The last thing I was thinking about was soccer. So when I, went to, when I went back to the trial, they threw me into a game right away. I'll be honest. I was going up against an African center back. He was huge. He was huge. Very fast, very strong, very powerful. He was like the perfect person to mark me, you know, didn't do well. They told me that, you know, sorry, we're not going to take you in this and that. And then that was a bit of a heartbreak, you know? And uh, yeah. And then I just, after that, I, I came back, I came, I always would go and come back, go and come back, you know? So it seems like your first couple of years, especially in Lebanon, were yeah. just setback after
0: setback after setback, yeah. all of these things hitting you. At the same time, you got a lot out of it. Yeah. And then, so you had your years in Lebanon. I know you eventually went on to play in Germany. Mm-hmm. So
1: take us through Germany really quickly and then that transition into eight mode. Okay. So before Germany, I actually went back to Lebanon. I signed with a club and I played half wow. of the season with them and it went really well. I won, uh, I actually transitioned to another position. I won right back of the year for that year. And then uh, in the middle of this, like when we have our winter break, they stopped paying us, you know, financial issues. So I was like, screw that shit. Like, I'm not going to deal with that. And I left. Came back to Canada and I was looking for a club. It was between New Zealand and Germany. Two of my good friends were, on, were playing in Germany and then they needed someone of my position. So they called me and I went. And Germany was, very, Germany was very different because when you're playing in the lower leagues in Germany, it's not like you have enough. It's not like Lebanon. Lebanon, you live... You, they put you up in a house they pay they pay you and this and that's more professional germany the level's higher but it's less professional so you actually have to work a full-time job so i was working like a very shit job as a forklift driver at a warehouse so every day i'm lifting heavy shit and you know the environment wasn't ideal for me to succeed you know i mean that that must have had a huge impact on your own field performance oh huge like sometimes i'd be like sometimes i'd be sleeping on the team bus going to a game and then, you know, like, like I said, in, in soccer or in any sport, they don't see you as a human. They see you as literally their slave. And that's something that I noticed. Like they didn't give a shit that I had to work all day. They never made my life easy. They never tried to help me more than anyone else. These other kids in Germany, like they're they're well off. So they were going to the beach during the day, chilling, having a good time when I was busting my ass to just play. So if, you know, you had bad performances, they would they would like, you know, they'd be on you about it. Anyways, I played in Germany for two years. I bounced around like with four different teams because the way it works is like when you go to another country the way you don't have a citizenship, you are tied to that team. That team, the government knows that you are there making X amount of dollars with this team. You have this job that's tied to this team. So if you want to switch teams, they can really screw you over. They can cancel your papers and you're literally stranded. So I didn't know these things. So I kept switching teams because I'd get better offers or I was unhappy or whatever. And so I played two, uh, two years in Germany. And then uh, I ruptured my adductor. That was a huge injury. And then I came back to Canada, hung out for about a year, recovered, and then played my last season in Lebanon. And then that was a horrible season because, like I said, financial issues, they weren't paying us and I had to get jobs and it was just a huge mess. And then I said, screw this, you know, like I was working, I managed a gym in Lebanon that had all the Olympic athletes, all the professional athletes. So I was training them. Because I always had my license. I was like, every time I would come back and forth between Canada and other countries, I'd work as a trainer. So that was always my job. Like I was, I had always planned to start ape mode. I, was, I had that goal in my mind to just, you know, okay, after soccer, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But in the process, I always did things that would set me up for that goal. So I'd get my, my, my license. I, I did a, I did a course with Olympic Lyon. The whole coaching staff came to Lebanon. I went, I did a week course with them. I, I, uh, I worked with PSG Academy. I, you know, I, I, I trained all of. All the athletes, professional athletes, all these things. So my CV was growing as my as my career was growing, you know, and I saw it as an investment. I didn't make that much money from playing soccer as much as I should have made, but ultimately it set me up for success in the future. So I was in Lebanon, very lonely time for me. You know, I was like going through some rough times. And um I thought to myself, I'm like, why am I putting so much effort in Lebanon, training all these high-level people, doing such a good job and getting barely anything in return? I told, you know, I was talking to my friend on the phone, And he's like, and he said to me, word for word, his name is Rabbi Mansour. He said, listen, don't be a pussy, move back to Canada and start your own business. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I moved back to Canada. I started dating this this girl from Ottawa. Her name is Linnea. And she was hugely influential in helping me set up my business. She chose the name. And, we, you know, like the early stages was just me and her trying to trying to make it work, trying to find a way to succeed, taking videos at the gym. And slowly but surely, like I teamed up with, you know, OPSM, that's an agency in Ottawa. Uh, we were highly successful together for the for the first three years. And yeah, and then they gave me a bunch of athletes and I just b- built myself from there. So what makes our company so uh, unique is the fact that, you know, my experiences as a soccer player that I can then dish out to these athletes. So 95% of my clients are soccer players, players who want to go to the next level or who aspire to be something other than amateur players. And um, what we offer them is we offer them nutrition. So that's what Linnea takes care of. We offer them uh, online training. So I train a lot of athletes online. So I have a lot of national team players overseas. Um, who seek my help right so i send them programming for for different stages that they're in in their season so if it's an off season you know we're always in contact if i have a player who gets injured i'm also partnered with vitality physio that's the best physio clinic in ottawa and we we have this app together where the players will get this app and we'll all communicate through this app what's the best move going forward for these players if they're injured or they're having issues athletically they let me know and we're always in contact right and that's how i was able to build such a strong relationship with like for example the national team of lebanon right now i'm sending one of my players to play with the under 22s and I'm going, I'm going to go travel with him in november i wouldn't have gotten these opportunities if i didn't struggle throughout my lifetime right through struggle comes some sort of success right and we offer it so we do we specialize in strength training for soccer players it's very specific because you know if you go to a trainer that trains only and primarily like for example football players hockey players it's different from soccer like soccer it requires a lot of you're running way more than other sports so you can't just go and train them the way a football player would train and those were the early mistakes that i went through in my career you know i had a very good trainer very very good trainer but he trained me as if i was an american football player so my, my longevity was not there. My endurance was not there. Those are things I didn't really focus on. I just focused on the big power lifts, right? So the, through these mistakes, I learned, okay, the next generation coming up, what do we need to focus on? Because athletes, in their mind, they think, go, 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 lift heavy. I'm here to tell them, hey, wait a minute. L- let's take a little bit of a, little bit of, of a break and, and go and hit you know, 70% lifts, not 100% every time you train. And you, they, they, they notice that they, they actually don't get injured anymore. They feel better. They're not fatigued. So these are the things that I had to struggle through my career to then come up with the solution for them in the future.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, I noticed that too. Like a lot of athletes, they just go, 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 and it turns to overtraining. What's important to note is with training, there's a set amount that's going to help you reach that max performance. And essentially all the programs with Ape Mode are designed to make sure you're hitting that max amount. So I know underlying theme with Ape Mode is hitting your maximized performance, hitting that peak state. What does that mean to you? What
1: does it mean to reach your max performance? So, so for me, I always, I always um, give this advice to my players. I say, what sport do you play? And they tell me. And I'm like, all right, so focus on your sport. I want you to use the gym for two things, to get faster and to stay away from injuries. You know? And when I mean faster, I mean you know, strength, speed, explosiveness, yeah. all that stuff. But for me, I don't care about what you can do in the gym. I only care about how long you can play for right? If you can give me 10 solid years with no injuries, I would have done my job perfectly. But if you're so fast, so strong, you're very athletic, but you're injured all the time, I didn't do my job properly. So that's the main thing that I think about as soon as someone walks through my doors. I want them to play for a long time. I want them to to focus on soccer, focus on their sport. And when they come into the gym, I want them to see it as like, you know, get, getting from A to A plus. It's not going to get you from B to A plus, because ultimately you have to focus on your craft, focus on soccer, right? Makes sense. And a lot of that is just
0: preventing injuries and making sure that the gym work is complementing what you do on the field because everything needs to relate back to your performance on the field. For sure. You've worked with hundreds of athletes.
1: What would you say separates a great athlete from a good athlete? I think um, having a very successful routine will really set you apart from everybody else and let's break that down routine what does that look like so routine so for example i find a lot of athletes uh, you know when when i when we start working with athletes like these are the kinds of questions that i ask them and their parents like what are their what's their routine like when they wake up in the morning what time are they waking up a lot of them are waking up at like noon how are you ever going to be a professional athlete waking up at noon some people get lucky don't get me wrong but they're born with that you know natural skill but coming from canada you're already at a disadvantage so you have to be very 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 motivated very motivated You have to do the right things every morning, right? So for me, I I learned that a little later than most athletes. You know, at 22, 21 is when I really took things seriously. But even before then, I tried my best, but I had no help. So, you know, having a morning routine, like meditating, right? Drinking X amount of water, uh, having a a good breakfast, right? Weighing your food, right? Knowing when to eat, what supplements to take, right? Because like you're demanding so much from your body, but what are you giving it in return? These are the questions that you have to ask yourself as an athlete. And, you know, all like a lot of the athletes that I, that I train at the moment, like when I, when I dissect their, their lifestyle, there's a lot of, a lot of issues, but slowly but surely I make small changes. I'm not going to tell them from day one, I want you to be this way slowly, but surely I make small, small, small changes until they get it because they feel it. And once athletes feel the change in their game, it becomes an addiction and they want more of it because they start feeling better and feeling, you know, more athletic, feeling more dominant on the pitch. And that's how, that's how we run things. So that's the difference between, you know, a successful player and a non-successful player. Like I have a lot of athletes who train with me now. They have opportunities to play abroad, but it's not good enough for them. Well, you know what? You're training with me in the gym and you're rotting away playing house league soccer when you could be playing professionally. That's the difference between a player who's going to make it and a player who doesn't. I'm not going to sit here and say that like after I hit a failure that I came back home and I said, oh, I'm going to continue training. No, it was always like a cycle something would happen to me i would have some sort of failure i would come back to ottawa i would literally hibernate for a month no one would see me i'd be in my house what would that look like just I, watching tv doing yeah i was, just, de- that yeah, I was just, just depressed i was mm-hmm. literally literally depressed physically depressed mentally mentally i was not there and i couldn't handle it i couldn't handle the fact that like things didn't work out that were out of my control it's not like i went and i was a shit player and they're like no screw you go home no it was always like the money wasn't coming I was struggling. I needed money for my parents, things like that. And it's like, as a pro athlete, like you don't want to deal with that, you know? And then I would come to my senses and I would decide, you know what? No, I'm going to continue. Then I get back into the training, get back. And then I'd find an opportunity and go again. This went on until I was like 28, 29. Like I kept it going, even though I probably should have quit a little earlier, but I, I don't regret anything because it always led me to certain, to certain things in life. Makes sense. Now, I wanted to bring up this
0: topic because I know your answer is going to be very real. If you could change anything about
1: soccer in Ottawa, the way it's run, the way the clubs work, what would that be? Um, Living in other countries, I really saw the right way soccer should be ran. And in Ottawa, and I'm not going to say Canada because I can't speak on behalf of the other provinces or other cities, but Ottawa has a very weird and negative way of running things. They, they don't work together. The clubs don't work together. They actually work against each other and they're trying to uh, compete against each other in, in such a negative way. They're always trying to like shut down this club. You know, oh, a new academy comes up. Let's try to find a way to shut them down instead of, hey, you know what? Maybe they have a good team that can challenge us. You know, they don't work together. They, they only worry about the money. They only care about the money. Like, for example, like I had a lot of issues with clubs in Ottawa. Their players came to train with me. I'm a, I'm a fitness trainer. I'm a strength trainer. I'm going to make your player better. But yet they have an issue with them coming to me. Why? Because I'm very influential. I have a big personality. I have a very strong personality. I don't let anyone stronger than me. Whereas other people in Ottawa are very soft, They're very, very soft. So if I'm, let's say like, you know, the GM of a, of a club comes and talks to them. They get scared. I don't get scared from anyone. Like I lived in Lebanon for five years. Like people don't know what I've been through. So for me, like coming to Ottawa and seeing how unhappy some of my athletes are and things like that really upset me. Like how, how could, how could these GMs or these coaches or these clubs like treat these players in this way? We're here to make them better. Like money should be the last thing on their mind. Like there's always money to be made, and that's that's something that I took into my business. Like I don't care about the money. For me, I'm going to do the best job possible. My customer service. I haven't had a complaint in two years. That's how you build a successful business, not by tearing other people down. You know, like I I I, uh, I embrace the challenges from other businesses. Like let's say there's another soccer trainer. I would never talk smack about him because I respect what they're doing. So the clubs in Ottawa, like, they're very diluted in the way they think, like, you know, there's nothing to aspire to, you know, all these clubs, they have these youth teams, right? But like, where's your first team? You know, I know OSU has a PLSQ team. And like, uh, I think they also had a League One team like that is like, that's the way to go, because there's something for people to aspire to. But what about all the other clubs in Ottawa? Like, how could you not have a first team? Like, the kids need something to look up to. Hey, you know what, if I play well, I could get called up here, you know, and there's and I find that like, the athletes that come through my doors, like, they're missing a lot. Of things that they will not learn from their clubs, like I have to teach these kids how to shoulder check. come on, like that's stuff that you should know as a kid. they're just worried about money, and that's something that I would change like I would probably fire every single one of them that's what I would do and so what do you think is the solution solution is I can't tell you what the solution is because uh, this has been going on since the beginning, and you know and it's not just us like it's other other cities too within Canada and the states too like in Lebanon, for example, like the kids don't pay to play, so as soon as you take out the money the parents have no no power or no control so the if the kid's a good player he's going to go far and if the kid's not a good player he's going to get cut and that's the way it should be you know like if countries like lebanon third world countries can have that system don't tell me canada can't all they're concerned about is money and power and greed and that's something that i will not i don't stand for and that's why i refuse to help the clubs in ottawa you know they've 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 made me how can i say you know when you get into business they they, they see you as a threat and uh and that's why I've turned my back on them. Like I'm not I don't I don't have no uh aspirations to work with any clubs from Ottawa, I'll be honest.
0: What's something people seem to misunderstand about you? Because you seem to be very direct with things, which is good because you you spit out the real answer. And oftentimes you need the real answer to actually get to mm-hmm. a solution. So what do you think are some things that people misunderstand about you?
1: I think that a lot of people think I'm very arrogant and I'm very full of myself. But to be honest, I actually have the heart of gold. Like I, I would do anything for people. You know, people who are in my circle, and uh, I respect everyone. I'm very kind to everyone. You know, and um, I just think that you know, people see the see the social media, see what I've done with my career, and see the way I walk and talk, and my car, and my and my clothes, and all that, and, and they just get the wrong impression. But honestly, like. I would do anything for people. And, uh, you know, I just want to see people succeed. I don't want to tear anyone down. I want everyone to rise to the top. You know, I hurt. it really, really hurts me when I see all these young athletes. that have huge goals, huge aspirations, but no help. You know, all I want to do is just help people. Like, that's my main goal in life. Like, I've, I've done so much in my life that now that I'm back, I made it my, my life goal to just come in and just make a huge difference in the community. And I am. I'm making noise and I'm going to continue to make noise. And people are going to keep hearing about me.
0: I've seen it. I've seen it here in person because we're pretty we're very close every day we're working. We're trying to move things forward. And yes, of course, you have this very strong side to you where you're pushing your agenda, but also you have this very kind hearted side to you where you really want what's best for people. And I think it just goes back to like unity and community. And that's what we need to be encouraging more, whether it's in auto or just on a global scale. That's what's going to help us rise. And that's what's going to help us evolve to to being the best humans possible. What does success look like to you? Would that be accomplishments? Would that be fulfillment? What would that look like to you?
1: That, the problem with success for me is everyone thinks I'm successful, but I don't see it. Like throughout my whole life, I was never content. I was never happy with where I was. And that com- that's a little bit of a curse in a sense, you know, because I was always looking for the next thing, for the next big thing. Oh, you know what? I, uh, I have 100 clients. Okay, you know what? I want 150. So for me, I have this like weird... Weird feeling inside of me that I'm never content. I'm never like fully, fully, fully happy. So I think what success looks like to me is the day where I can, you know, sit back and be happy with my accomplishments, be happy with myself. Um, and, you know, hopefully somewhere hot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you don't like the cold. <laughs> no, I, I, do, I do not. At we, all. Had our, we had our first snowfall. I, g- I guess you get a little yeah. snowfall today. And what? It's, it's not even November yet. I know. So I, I know you've been to Miami a couple of yeah. times. So hopefully you can make that move soon.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Got yeah. some opportunities there. So yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah.
0: But I really want to talk about that because I can relate to the not being content. But I think my my perspective around that is I know I'm on this process of I have these high expectations and these high standards. And yes, oftentimes I'm hit with setbacks. And even if I accomplish big things, I'm always looking at what's next. But I think in the moment, I'm always able to appreciate and be be blissful for what I have. But then also know that there's still more. And I need to go for more because the moment you stop moving, you stop growing. And I think, I think that's what you're saying is that whenever you accomplish something, you're just so excited about what's next. Like the way I see things
1: is a player of my style. I should have, I should have gone big, Like I should have been like something, you know, so it's hard for me to swallow the fact that I didn't do as much as I wanted to in my soccer career so that now I'm in a different stage in life. Now I'm in the business side of things. So why can't I take that motivation and take it into the business aspect of things? You know, I, I have a second chance right now, right? Like my, my life as an athlete is gone. Now my life as a businessman has just started. It's only been two years. And it's beautiful because with business, if you put 100% effort in, you're going to get 100% back. Whereas with soccer, you could put 1000% in and you get zero back. Imagine that. Imagine you work so hard and things just keep not happening for you. And I feel bad for the players now because with COVID, it's even worse for them. So I feel for them
0: yeah it's it's a difficult it's a difficult industry with professional sports but i mean all of your experiences that you've had over the years are contributing to the powerful impact you're making in the next generation of athletes and i'm actually curious because you're saying it's it's difficult for you to swallow your your professional soccer career and you know you could have elevated higher at 19 you went to lebanon you made this big move let's say we could go back in time What would you say to your 19 year old self?
1: What I would, what the first thing that I would do is I would hire an agent. That's the first thing I would have done is hired someone to manage my career because, and like, I just made bad choices. Like I had, let's say I had five offers. I thought so highly of myself as a player that I didn't even see those offers as good opportunities. But as I got older, the offers started getting worse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then you look back and you're like, oh, I should have taken that offer. That was actually a good offer. So I think my decision-making was very impulsive and I didn't really think things through. And I, I I just was like, no, 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 let's go. I want it now. I want to do it now. You know? And I I wasn't content with just like, you know, struggling through a season. Like I never finished a contract. I signed for eight different teams. I never finished whether it was injuries or just, I wasn't pleased with the way they ran things. Something always happened. And yeah, I just think like getting good representation would have been good. Um, Surrounding myself with the right people this is something that like a lot of people don't understand is that when you're a professional athlete, you get a lot of attention from girls, from media, from just like everyone. Right. And I found it very difficult to separate my street life and my soccer life. Very difficult. And it didn't work to my favor. You know, like I was always out girls drinking this and that. Right. So that hindered my progress, especially in Germany, like in Germany, they set me up in an in a apartment right downtown, right next to all the clubs. I was young. I was like, you know, 25, 26, good looking guy, whatever. So I wasn't as disciplined as I, as I could have been, you know, I never separated. Like I was more happy with like the image of a soccer player rather than actually being one. So those are the things that I would say. Yeah. Those are some good points. And that goes to
0: show how important mentorship is yeah. too. I know you're big on that Yeah, learning from someone else's experience so that you don't have to go through that yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know you, being so young, you wish you had more resources and you wish you had uh, people and mentors to help you. Yeah. And now you're in a position with Ape Mode to do just that.
1: So what is the impact you want to make with Ape Mode? I just want to give players and athletes or even like anyone who comes to my doors, I want to give them the re- realistic part of being an athlete. Like, hey, you know what? Like, I know you have these dreams and I'm not here to shatter your dreams. I'm here to like lift you up to the highest point. But I want you to know, like, if you want this life, these are the things you need to look into. Because they don't they don't give you that realness living in Canada. In Canada, all you watch, you watch Bayern Munich, you watch Liverpool, you look, watch Man City, you think that's what it's going to be like. You see their cars and their money and all this. That's what you think that it's going to be like being a pro. But there are levels to this shit, man. Like, it's no joke. Like, if a player like me didn't make it that far, do you think that, you know, you coming from Canada and, like, barely playing and this and that? Like, no, like, you have to, like you have to put in the work. Like you have to be working on your technical skills every day. You need to be in the gym. You need to, you know, eat the right foods. You need to have a morning routine. You need to be playing at the right level. My advice to these players, I find is, is more, even, even more powerful than the training itself. You know, just my mentorship, like just the other day, an athlete called me and she told me, she's like, oh my God, like your training is, I'm so happy with your training. Like I went to the fitness today, I destroyed everyone. And I'm like, good. Like that's, that's awesome. You know, like their accomplishments are my accomplishments too right? And my, my accomplishments are theirs. Like me developing a relationship with, you know, the Federation of Team Lebanon, I was able to send one of my players to the national team. Like he is chosen as a 23-man roster to play for the national team. That's the biggest stage you can, you can hit. You know, I want these opportunities for people. And I don't, want, I don't want a single thing from you. Like I'm not an agent. I'm not a manager. I don't care. I just want to help. And in the process, by me helping you, of course, it's going to help me too. You know, I sponsor so many athletes, so many. They don't pay a dime. Why? Because I believe in them. I believe in them and it's an investment for me.
0: I like that. Antonios, keep inspiring. Let listeners know where they can connect with you and find out more about Ape Mode.
1: You can reach
0: us at at
1: Ape Mode Fitness on Instagram and uh, at Antonios Assad is my personal account as well. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 8 Billion Gifts podcast. Check out the links in the description if you are looking to get connected with this week's guest. This is a great platform to expand your network, connect with people who come on, and to learn something new at the same time. Stay tuned for next week's episode featuring a new story and mindset. In the meantime, keep learning, keep growing, and have an amazing day.